So before we went to the missions field, we have started a, a mini-series on uh, what is the church. And uh, today I'm going to continue on that theme. We have a couple more messages that God has put in my heart. And you can see our message today is titled Church as the Family of God. And I have a number of things to share with you. Because of that, they will be giving you notes, all right? Anytime we have uh, different scripture portions to look at, we always give notes. And uh, that's what we will be doing today. So you can follow along with me in the, in the notes. This is a, very, a topic very dear to me. My heart is actually, you know, pumping strong this morning. Because I couldn't wait to share this message with you. Uh, you will understand in a, in a couple of minutes. All right, so I'm glad we are here to look at uh, ourselves as a family and understand God's plan for his church. Now, if you look at the Bible, we right away realize that um, we serve a God. You know, I mean, most of the people on the face of the earth are religious and they believe in some kind of God. They serve some kind of God. But we serve a God who is a trinity in nature. Three, three in one, Trinity in nature. There's a Father, there's a Son, and there is a Holy Spirit. And right away you get a picture of fellowship. Right away you get a picture of a family, even in Godhead. And we call, you know, um, the creator of this universe, Father. That's the word that we use. God the Father. And we call the sustainer of this universe, for whom this whole universe was created, who controls this whole universe. We call him God the Son. God the Son. Amen. And we know that Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity who does the work on behalf of Father and the Son. So you can see a family resemblance even in, in Godhead. But uh, that understanding was not always there. If you follow along with me in the notes, you will see that during the Old Testament, people didn't have that understanding. People called God Adonai. There were two words that uh, is very commonly used in, uh, in the Old Testament and in the Old Testament times. One was Adonai. The word Adonai means master. So right away, if you call somebody master, it is not reflecting a family relationship it is reflecting a servant-master relationship. And the most common word used for God in Old Testament is the word Lord, Lord, or Yahweh. The word Yahweh simply means Lord. So in the Old Testament times, they used two words. One was Adonai, which meant master, and the second word was Yahweh, which means, or Jehovah. You know, we were saying about Jehovah even a little earlier. Jehovah, which means the Lord. So their understanding about God was not as a family, not as a close relationship. Their understanding of God was a master-servant relationship. So who changed that understanding of mankind? It was Jesus. Until Jesus came on the scene, we did not understand that God actually wanted a family relationship with his people. Even when God told uh, the Old Testament Israelites, you shall be my people and I shall be your God. And I called them Israel is my firstborn. None of these could, they could understand any of that. Because in their mind, God was always Adonai. God was always Yahweh. 
He was always the master. He was always the Lord. And their job was to please this master. That's the way they looked at God. But when Jesus came, he changed that thinking. He came as the son. You know, because we know that none of us can, none of us can see God the Father because he's his spirit. Then, then he took the flesh of a man and came into this world and was born as a baby in a manger so that we can see God in a shape, in a form, in a, as a person. So, and then God the Son started teaching his followers about what is the true heart of his Father. That's when people slowly started to get it. But even when you read through the Gospels and you can see that there was a slow progression in understanding in the life of his disciples, they didn't get it either because they initially they were all considering themselves as master. In fact, Jesus himself called them their master. Can, I, can you look at a couple of verses in there in your notes? I'm going to refer to the notes today, okay? Because there are a number of things that we'll be looking at. If you look at... Uh, John chapter 15. All of us love that chapter, right? That's a chapter that starts with, with saying, I am the true wine, and uh, my father is the wine dresser, and you are the branches, right? When you look through that uh, chapter, when we come to verses 14 and 15, listen, you, this is what Jesus told them. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. For, but I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So when Jesus called his 12 disciples originally, Jesus himself is acknowledging that they were at the status of the servants because they did not understand things of God much. And then Jesus had to walk with them, talk to them, teach them, constantly be in dialogue with them and impart fresh revelation after fresh revelation into their life for almost three years. When Jesus tells us this in John chapter 15, this is just a week or two before his crucifixion. Are you with me? So how long Jesus spent with his disciples? Three and a half years. So almost three and a half years it took for them to change their traditional thinking. All of us struggle with our traditional thinking too, right? So it, it, it took them almost three and a half years, even when Jesus himself was teaching them to change their traditional thinking because they always looked at themselves as servants, servants, servants. And prior to his crucifixion, about two weeks before his crucifixion, he's having a dialogue with his disciples and he's telling you, you're no longer servants. You guys didn't know that I changed your status. You know, you are my friends. And they couldn't understand that. They looked at Jesus and said, how can we be your friends? You are up there and we are down here. You are moving in the supernatural all the time and we are still struggling with our natural tendencies. So how can we be your friends? But Jesus said, that's not what makes you my friend. But it is what I have done for you that makes you my friend. Hallelujah. Are you with me? Amen. It's not what we do for Jesus that makes us friends of Jesus, but it's what he has done for us that makes us his friends. 
Amen. And then Jesus said, but you didn't, in case you didn't know that, you didn't realize it yet, you notice that everything I have heard from my father, I have shared it with you. Amen. It, you don't go and share things with your strangers. Are you with me? Amen. Now, sometimes, you know, like, you were just like, like when we just came back a couple of weeks ago from, from this uh, long mission trip, sometimes you are sitting in the plane, you know, um, like 10 hours, 12 hours in one stretch. And I was, in fact, I was thinking, I wish I, I knew this man who was sitting next to me so I could, I could strike a conversation with him. I am not a person who go and start a conversation with a stranger. That's not a good quality for a pastor, but I am, I am a little timid. Okay, so, so I don't just go and start a conversation with anybody. And I was thinking many times, multiple times, I thought, I wish I knew this man so we could talk about something. Because he's staring at that screen, I'm staring at that screen, and then I get bored, then I close my eyes, then I try to sleep, then I look at the screen, then I get bored. And you know, you know why? Because we don't share things with strangers. Can you imagine God chooses to share things with you? Amen. Hallelujah. And in a couple of my weeks ago, in one of my messages, I shared with you that God actually wants to share things with us. He wants to show us things. We want, he wants us to hear his voice. He wants us to understand what is going on in his mind. Amen. And, but we cannot understand the mind of Christ. We cannot understand the mind of God. There's only one way we can get in there at this little bit. That's when he elevates us to the status of his friends. Amen. So you have to strike a friendship with God. You have to strike a friendship with Jesus. Turn to somebody and say, you need to strike a friendship with Jesus. Are you? Did you talk to him today? Did you talk to him this week? Yes. Amen. Did you wait for him to talk to you? Yes. Amen. See, Jesus said that's, that's the definition of a friend. That's not my definition of a friend. That's his definition of a friend. Jesus said if you truly have a friend, you share everything with that friend. And that's what I did. That's why I kept you tagging me, tagging along for three and a half years with me so that I can share everything that is in my heart with you. And now you know everything that I know. Thank God he did that. That's why we have a New Testament. That's why we have the Gospels. If he didn't do that, if he kept everything in his heart and, and just died on the cross and said, okay, I have done what I, have, you know, I came into the world for, we would not have the New Testament. He took time to share everything with them. And you know, the first gospel that was written was the gospel of Mark. And it is completely the recollection of Apostle Peter. Apostle Peter. Because Mark was the nephew of Apostle Peter. So Peter shared it with Mark and Mark wrote it down. And, and that was the first gospel. So everything that we have in the Bible is because Jesus chose to share things with his disciples. And he elevated them to the level of friends. Amen. Hallelujah. Can I show you another thing? Another verse. Another verse that uh, often strike me is in Matthew chapter 28. You know, another famous chapter in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 28. If you look at uh, Matthew chapter 28, you will see a big difference. You know, how the status changes or changed in history. First of all, in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 7, 7 this is uh, Jesus, not Jesus, the angel, 
all right, speaking to Mary Magdalene. And this is what the angel told her. Go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And indeed, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So to the, to the angel, they are still disciples. They are just still followers of Christ, right? But look at that same chapter in verse 10. This is Jesus talking to Mary Magdalene. And this is what Jesus said. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. And there they will see me. You see what happened? You see the elevation in, in our status? When they started following Jesus, they were just servants. And then Jesus made them his friends. But then when Jesus went to the cross and died and resurrected as the firstborn... Hello, are you with me? Amen. When he resurrected as the firstborn of resurrection, guess what? We became our older brother. So today, you know who is Jesus? Jesus is my savior. Jesus is my master. Jesus is my friend. And Jesus is also my older brother. Hallelujah. Are you getting this, what I'm saying? Amen. You turn around to somebody and say, my status has changed. Yeah, people still look at you the same way because they don't know what happened in your life. Amen. People still judge you the same way because they don't know the change that Jesus brought in your life. Yes, you are at one, point, one level. You are just like anybody else, just trying to, looking at God as a master and trying to please that God. But that was all the story. This is a new creation. Now we are new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, you can give the Lord a clap offering in this place. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, Jesus. Are you with me? Amen. Amen. Then Apostle Paul became a Christian. He had that Jewish thinking. We know that prior to his conversion. But after he got converted, he got many direct revelations from Jesus Christ. And that completely changed him. And equipped him to write two-thirds of the New Testament. And when he got, when he got that revelation, he fully understood the church as a family of God. That's what we're going to talk about. Okay, I'm just getting there. All right? So this is what he says. Look in the note. The verse is right there. In Ephesians chapter 3. An epistle written by Apostle Paul. This is what he said. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. See, a family term. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. So Apostle Paul came from that Jewish thinking, came with that Jewish thinking, but that was completely changed right away. And he understood, it is, I have become part of a family now. And God is the father of this family. God is not only the father figure in the Godhead, God is also the father figure in his church, among his children. And we are his children. Are you with me? Amen. Hallelujah. And he said, I kneel down before him because he is the reason for every family in heaven and on earth. Just like he has a family in heaven, he has a family on earth. Amen. His family in heaven is the Trinity. His family on earth is us. Hallelujah. Listen, even more interesting is when you look at this verse in, Hebrew, in, in Greek. Because in the Greek language, 
The word for family is patria. And that's a direct derivative of the word for father, which is pater. So every family is supposed to have a father in the Greek thinking, in the Greek, according to the Greek language. Okay, I'm going to leave that there. That's because that's not my topic. Okay, so the Greek word for father is pater, and the Greek word for family is patria. So every a group of people that has a father figure is a family. That's the way that in, they look at family in the Greek language. Are you with me? So when that idea is transposed or transfused, I should say, with the, what God has been trying to teach mankind from the beginning of times, we get the idea why Jesus taught us the prayer, our Father who art in heaven. Hello, you're all staring at me this morning. Am I speaking in Greek to you? Now you understand why he taught us that prayer and said, pray like this. And then he said, our Father who art in heaven. Let's, let's all say that sentence. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let's say that again. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So who is God to us? God is our Father. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise God. So, that's why Apostle Paul tells us a household of God, I mean, a household of faith is actually a household of God. Every household of faith. What is a household of faith? That's another word for church in the Bible. A household of faith. Okay? Every household of faith is a household of God. The reference is in your notes. You can look at that. Listen. Every household of faith is a household of God. And every house has a father. Are you with me? Amen. That's why we pray our father who art in heaven. Now look at this. That's why Jesus told us, I will never leave you as orphans. Why? Because you are part of his family. Hallelujah. You have a father. Amen. Sometimes we sing that beautiful song, I have a father, amen, who knows my name. Okay, maybe we'll sing that song at the end of our service. What a beautiful um, song that is. So, you are a household of faith. When we became a member of the church named Gateway Christian Center, you became member of a household of faith. And when you became a household of faith, you also became a household of God, because this church is a household of God. This is a family of God on earth. And as a member of the household of God, you have a father, and you can call upon that father, so calling him my father. Or, or we will look at it later. And even in the book of Romans, Apostle Paul again told us, call him Abba, Father. You know, and because that, that we have that spirit in us, I will touch on that later. Okay, so, so you have to call him Abba Father, not God Almighty, not Adonai, not Lord Yahweh. Because of uh, Messianic Jewish influence in our Christian thinking today, I see a lot of Christians now praying Adonai, Adonai. No, 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 no. That's a lower, lower level of addressing God. You have gone past that. God is not just your master. God is your father. Amen. So when you pray, pray Abba, Father. Call him Abba, 
Father. Amen. So let's say, say that statement one more time. Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Pray that prayer until it dawns in your heart. It settles in your heart that God is your Father. Amen. Hallelujah. So turn to somebody and say, I am not an orphan. I have a father. Amen. Now, maybe your earthly father is gone to eternity, but your heavenly father is still alive. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Our sister Brown, Brown. <laughs> sorry. Our sister Brown, or Mother Brown, just lost her father this week. He was 96 years old. Okay? So he lived close to a century. But even when, when I was talking to her uh, Friday, that's when I found out. No, Friday, it's the last night. Uh, I found out about this. I could see the emotions in her. It doesn't matter how old is your father, your father is your father. Amen? So I could... I could feel that sense of loss in her voice last night when I was talking to her. But we all know, you know, it's necessity, you know, 100% true that all of our fathers are already gone or will be gone one of these days, including the pastor who is speaking to you, okay? Because death is 100% sure unless the Lord comes before that, all right? But what should comfort us is that we have a heavenly father, Amen. Hallelujah. And you also have an older brother today who has overcome death. Amen. Who broke the chains of death. Who broke the power of death. Who took victory over death. Amen. And he is reigning supreme as a sustainer of this universe. And he is your older brother. So you have nothing to worry about this morning. Oh, hallelujah. So turn to somebody and say, say, I am not an orphan. I'm a father. Amen. That's why we, that's why we, feel, we feel sorry for orphans, right? We take care of orphans. In our mission field, we have a pastor who takes care of 250 orphans. Okay, he feeds them. Now, why? Because we, we, deep down in our heart, we have this feeling every child should have a father and mother. Every child should have a family. But we know that's not the story of the modern world. That was never the story of the world. Anyway, especially in modern world, how many millions of kids are there without a family? When you hear stories like 20 million kids eat out of garbage dumps in the city of Mexico and surrounding areas, 20 million kids find their food in garbage dumps. You know, how can we not feel? Because we, we, we are part of a family, right? And we want everyone to have a family. But God made sure you are a part of a family. Amen. Hallelujah. And that's why he sent his only begotten son into this world. Amen. So can I take, take you a little more deeper? Amen. Can you turn to somebody and say, I'm ready to listen some more? All right. Okay. Because I have to show you the theology. Because the Bible makes it very clear how we became members of the family of God. Because when we study Bible, what happens is that, I mean, what happens is we know that God has only one begotten son, right? 
the, uh, Jesus is called the only begotten son. Even in John chapter 3, uh, 3 and verse 16, that's what we say. So if he has only one begotten son, how can we become sons and daughters of God? Well, the Bible tells us very clearly in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. Can I take you there? Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. The Bible tells us God predestined us for adoption. Say adoption. As sons through Jesus Christ. Amen. So predestined it. God predestined it. You know what does that mean? That God thought through this whole thing. Because he is the one who knows the end from the beginning. So long before he decided to create Adam, long before he decided to create this world, he saw the entire future that is coming up and he knew about the condition of mankind and how we will fall in sin, how we will need a savior. And then he had decided that uh, that family relationship with God will be broken because of sin, which is what happened in the Garden of Eden, right? Am I telling the truth? Amen. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. Because every day they had a fellowship. Every evening God would come down and Adam and Eve would walk with him, talk with him, have fellowship with him, real family union. But then the union was broken when the sin entered and they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden. Some, just like in some families we get so tired of certain children and we had to kick them out. I'm pretty sure no father likes that. I'm sure no mother likes that. It breaks their heart when they have to do that. But we know that we know hundreds of examples when kids were kicked out of their homes because of their rebellious nature. And that's exactly what God did. But you know, God had a plan to make this union one again. Amen. Hallelujah. So you know what he did? Long before he created Adam, he predestined us. In other words, he thought through this whole process and he came up with this process called adoption. Yes, I have only one own begotten son and his name is Jesus Christ. Nobody can take his place, but that doesn't stop me from getting the entire human race back into my family. And he found a way to do that. You know, and that is adoption. Today we know that uh, adoption is looked down upon. Am I, am I telling the truth? Many kids who know they are adopted don't want to say they are adopted, at least until they are adults and they have the courage to face it, okay? Because in the adoption in the modern world is done out of somebody, sometimes. Sometimes, you know, people, couples who do not have, cannot have any children, they go into third world countries and adopt children from there. And they love them and they bring them up as their own children. But then there are other, other situations uh, where we know that people have adopted others primarily out of somebody. So that's why you don't want to tell the world that you are adopted, you were adopted. Okay, but adoption was a different story. Listen to me. Are you still listening to me? Adoption was a different story during the time of Jesus in the Roman culture. Adoption was people who were adopted had a higher status. Listen to this. Had a higher status. You know why? Because not everyone did adoption. People did adoption for specific reasons. You know, out of the... I, 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 I forgot to double check this. I'm saying this from my memory. So if I am wrong, forgive me. You know, if I, if I remember correctly, 
out of the ten, first ten Caesars who ruled the Roman Empire, eight of them were adopted. Eight of them were adopted. Out of the first ten Caesars who ruled the Roman Empire, eight of them were adopted. You know why they would do that? Because to make, including the first one, Julius Caesar. Okay. Now, um, do you know why they do, would do that? To protect the wealth of the family and protect the lineage, protect uh, the, the right for the throne. So in order for the right for the throne, if let's say I'm the season now and uh, I'm about to die, I'm getting old and I don't have a child who is worthy to become the next season because they had other systems also, sent Roman Senate and etc. I don't have time to explain all of that. But, uh, but if you didn't have that, then you know what I do? I will go and find the most suitable young man in, in Rome or in the Roman Empire and go and adopt him as my son. So when I adopt him as my son, he has a legal right to ascend to the throne of the Caesar after my life. So people who, people were happy to let the children go. Because they knew that uh, if they were letting the children go, uh, in the future they're going to become a, at least a senator in the Roman Senate. Or even go all the way up to becoming a Caesar. So adoption was a big thing in the, in, in the Roman culture. And also it was a very legal, legal matter. Because the day, listen to this, the day you are adopted by a, a wealthy man, all your debts are forgiven, written off. Because you no longer belong to the old family, now you belong to a new family, and the new family do not have to carry your debt with them. So all your, all your debt will be forgiven. Amen? And the, fa the father of the family that is doing the adoption, or the man who is doing the adoption, had to sign a legal paper, you know, like, a, like in a testament, you know, uh, uh, and, and, and submit it to the court that he will treat this adopted son just like his natural sons, and he will have an equal share of his wealth just like his natural sons. No discrimination because they were adopted. So that's why people were happy. If somebody wanted to, a Roman senator wanted to adopt, I mean, if you read the literature, you will see so many examples of this. If the Roman senator, because usually the senators were very wealthy in that time, and, and if the Roman senator came to your home and realized that your young man is a mighty warrior, he's doing great things in the battle, and he is showing interest to adopt you, or your son as his son, you gladly give them away, gave your son away. Because you knew you are doing it for his good. Not to put him down socially or not to put him down economically. He will only go to a higher status in his life. Amen. So when you hear the word that God thought about this whole process and God's idea was to adopt us into his family, you may think, adopt? Mm, that doesn't sound that good. But don't think about adoption in our modern thinking. Think about adoption in the way the Bible is using it, in the biblical sense, in the biblical language. Because when the day you are adopted into God's family, all your debts are forgiven. <laughs> Hallelujah! What were our debts that need to be forgiven when we go into God's family? That's a debt of sin. 
and we were struggling with the heavy burden of sin and having no way to pay for our sins. We're trying everything under the sun to pay for our sins. Lighting candles, going, visiting holy places, bowing down next number of times a day. But we couldn't do all of that. But thank God, God thought about that long before I came into this world and he already had a plan to forgive my sins. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. So turn to somebody and say, listen, my sins are forgiven. Amen. Say, my debts are gone. Amen. Hallelujah. How great it is that God thought about all of this long before we came into this world. And he had a plan in place to take care of us. Amen. This morning, that's why I said you are not an orphan. You have a father. Just like a father, think about his family. God, our heavenly father has thought about us and he has done everything. Everything is in its place to take care of you and me. Oh, praise you, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. So you know what? When you are adopted into your family, Sometimes you look different from the natural sons, right? I gave, a, I gave a one minute video to Benny to show at this time. Uh, let me see if he can show it, all right? Okay, look at this. Just a little slideshow I made this morning to drive home this point. I keep playing that for a couple of minutes, Benny. Did you look at those pictures? All of us are part of one family. Did you look at those pictures? We don't look the same. We don't dress the same. We may not worship God the same way. Our culture is different. Our food is different. Our, our dress code is different. But we are all part of one family. You know why? Because we are adopted into one family. Amen. Keep looking at those pictures. Keep looking at those pictures. Amen. Hallelujah. You see how different each one of us is? Amen. So just like when you in the natural, when you are adopted into your family, you look different from the natural sons of the family. When you look at God's family, you see different color people. Amen. There are whites, there are blacks, there are browns, there are blue, there are yellow. Amen. Uh, and then we see people wearing sari, when we see people wearing dress. I mean, we have people wearing everything. Amen. Hallelujah. But you see, but we are all part of one family. Do you get this? Do you get this? When this really dawns in your heart, that's when prejudices goes away. When this really dawns in your heart, that's when you don't find it difficult to love a person with a different color, a person from a different nation, a person from a different background, a person who talks differently from you, dress differently from you, look differently from you. Because we are all part of one family. God has only one family. And that family is called the Church of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Turn to somebody and say, thank God you're part of my family. Just make sure. Just make sure you treat that person as part of your family. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. So that's what God did. Amen. God came up with this process of adoption because we are all different. We are all different. We think differently, act differently, speak differently. We use different languages, different mannerisms. Our food is different. Our dress is different. But it doesn't matter because we all have been adopted into God's family and we are one family. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Amen. God thought about this whole thing. I had to rush. 
to finish my message. Amazing, amazing, amazing. You know what God did? God changed our status from enemies of God to sons of God. Oh, I wish I had enough time to explain all of this. Amen. Because when we violated God's commandment, automatically we were walking in transgression, automatically bringing judgment upon our lives. And in that process, we had to become enemies of God. But you know, when we were adopted into God's family, we became sons and daughters of God. That's what God did. Hallelujah. That's why in John chapter 1 and verse 12, the Bible says, But as many as received him, say, as many as received him. Amen. As many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God. Amen. Listen, I want to correct something. There are plenty of people going around the world saying that all of us are the same. Amen. All men and women on the face of the earth are God's children. But that's not what Bible teaches. Look at that verse again, John chapter 1 and verse 12. For as many as received him... To them he gave the authority to become sons of God. So if you want to enter into this family, you have to take a concrete step. And you know what is that concrete step? Accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. Yes. Hallelujah! So there's a definite moment. See, when you go through an adoption process, you know that even in the natural, you know that you have to go to the government. If you're adopting a child from Eastern Europe, let's say, and you go there and you have to sign up the papers, you have to come in front of a court and you have to tell the judge that you're not adopting this child to take him to America and abuse him or sell him in the slave market or misuse him in some way or that boy or girl, you have to prove to the girl, the the, uh, the judge that you have a loving heart and you care, you have the means to sustain that child. Once you bring him back here, you have to go through the whole process, entire process before the judge signs off and allows you to carry that child with you back to America. Amen. But there's a definite moment where the child becomes part of your family. That's when the, when the judge signs off. There's a definite moment when you become part of God's family. That's when God the Father declares, your sins have been forgiven because you are accepted, my son, as your savior. Amen. By his precious blood, your sins are forgiven. Your sins have been wiped out. Welcome to the family. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So you have to take a concrete step. Amen. So I want to, I had to run forward. So then sometimes even after becoming members of God's family, you know, uh, I had to request, Hello. Hospitality team. Hello, hospitality team. Please don't do that while I'm preaching. Okay, wait until I'm done preaching. Okay, thank you. Um, because I see some people look there, some people look here. All right? Um, so, um, sorry, I lost that line of thought now. I was saying that even after we become members of the household of God, sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we feel like, if God is my Holy Father, I shouldn't be going through this. You understand? How many natural uh, times we have told our fathers when we were growing up, oh, you don't love me anymore. Hello? You don't love me anymore. You don't care about me anymore. Sometimes you don't get to experience the love of your, your natural father. 
not all fathers are good people in the natural. Amen. There are extremely good fathers, and then there are some sorry cases. Okay, but uh, but what I want to tell you is this. See, sometimes we, in the in in as spiritual children of God, sometimes we forget that God still loves us. When we go through issues, we forget that. And we don't want to call him our Father. We want to slip back, especially if something happened to us and we know that we offended God by doing that. You know? Then we want to slip back to that master-servant relationship. But you want to know something? Once you are a son, you cannot be a servant. Are you with me? Once you are a son, you cannot be a servant. Where do we learn that lesson? In the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son came back saying that I am ready to be your servant. But, but his father said, no. Once you are a son, you cannot be a servant. You can only be a son. You can only be restored into your sonship position. Amen. So what happens is sometimes we don't feel like we don't feel like, we feel like the prodigal son and we want to slip back to the master-servant relationship. But you want to know, that's a time the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God that lives inside of us or oh, gives us the strength to cry out, Abba, Father. In the natural, you don't want to use that phrase. You don't think you, are, you have the right to use that phrase because something happened and you know that you have offended God and you are afraid to reach God and you know that that fellowship is a little shaky now. But even then, you know, the Holy Spirit that is inside of you saying, once you are a son, you're always a son. You cannot go back to a servant. Amen? And it enables you to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba Father, Abba Father restores the relationship. Amen? Hallelujah. Can I quickly go over a couple more things before we, we pray? Now, every family has a resemblance, right? Don't we always say, though, every time we have a child, you know, like, like now in our case, when we have grandchildren, you know, every time we get a new photo, you know, my wife asks me, who do you think he looks like? The daddy or the mommy? <laughs> uh, I mean, I know this is not only the story of my house, it's the story of every house, right? Every time a child is born, right away, we look for family resemblance. Because why? Because every family has an identity. Amen? So, so resemblance means, or simply means looking like each other or similar in some other way. And, and you can right away say, as a, as a baby starts growing up, you can see the traits in them. And you know this is whether it came from the father or came from the, from the mother, or came from the grandpa or came from grandma, or came from the uncle or auntie. You, you know, it came from somebody in your family. Okay, you cannot escape that. All of us have family resemblance, right? So the same thing is the, the, the uh, true of us. If you have members of God's family, there must be some resemblance of him in our lives. Are you with me? Amen. Now, as I said earlier, we cannot see God the Father, so we cannot, we cannot resemble him. But in Jesus Christ, we saw God the Son. And when he walked on earth, he showed us an example to follow. Amen. A resemblance. Amen. We can adopt our resemblance from God the Son. Amen. So, you know, our action. How do you know? Sometimes you, you, you recognize the family resemblance from, that, from your actions. Sometimes you say, oh, he smiles just like his grandpa. 
you know, or he sneezes just like his grandma, you know, something like that. Some of our, our actions will show our family resemblance. So this morning, as members of the household of God, as members of household of God's family, guess what? Your action will show your resemblance. Amen. And that's why Jesus said in John chapter 15, if you are truly my friends, you will follow my commandments because it's your actions that you prove that you have become a family, a member of the family of God. Amen. You cannot claim to be a member of the family of God and act like Lucifer. Hello. Amen. You cannot claim to be a member of the family of God and, and let your mouth loose and foul language come out, you know, from your mouth. You cannot do that because your action will show your true family resemblance. Amen. Hallelujah. So another, another principle that we know from our life is that children always imitate the fathers and mothers, right? Have you noticed that little boys when they grow up? They just, uh, that when the father put the leg up on leg, the son wanted to put the leg up on leg. Have you noticed that in your families? Why? Because children always imitate their parents. So if you are children of God, then whom should we be imitating? We should not be imitating Rihanna. Not a, we don't have the Rihanna here anymore. Okay. I'm talking about the singer. Huh? Oh, I don't even know the name of all the young stars, okay? So somebody on MTV or somebody on TV or somebody in one of these shows, that's not whom you should imitate. You should, because you are a member of the household of God. You are a member of household of Jesus, amen? If you are a child of God, you should imitate your spiritual father. Are you with me? Hallelujah. So that's where our difficulty is. I'm going to leave that there. So I'll be quickly I want to show you. Go to the next slide. Or you have notes. Just look further down. See, three things I highlighted there, right? Quickly. In a good family, this is based on a good family. In a good family, there is always an authority structure. Authority structure, all right? Now, I told you in the, in the Greek language, the word for father was pater. And the word for family is patria. So in the, in the Greek thinking, a family is where the father rules. Are you with me? A family is where the father rules. So there's a clear-cut authority structure for the family. Amen? Now, in, the, in, in God's family, when you look at in God's family, you can see that uh, authority structure. I'm not going to um, focus on the God's family on earth. I'm going to focus for a minute on the God's family in, uh, in heaven, which is the Trinity. If you look at uh, the Trinity as it is presented to us in the Bible, you can see there is an authority structure there. Amen. You can see uh, the, the son totally obeying the will of the father. Do you remember the prayer in the garden of Gethsemane where he said, not by will, let thy will be done. Amen. Totally surrendering to the will of the father. Amen. And, uh, and, and, and Holy Spirit carries out the will of the father and the son. And in Philippians chapter 2, the Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus did not consider robbery to be equal with God, willingly gave that up so that he can become our older brother, amen, and lead us into God's family. Second thing that we do is this, we notice is this, in a, in a good family, people are always willing to sacrifice for each other. 
Nobody is selfish. Nobody thinks of themselves only. In a good family, amen, people are always willing to sacrifice for each other. And again, you know, looking at Trinity, we see John chapter 1 and verse 29. We know him as the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And John tells us he was, he was set apart as the Lamb of God before the foundations of the world. And he was always separated to be a sacrifice he too, so that we can all come back into the, into the family of God. Amen? Now, this is what, this is what we have to um, remember. In, when, in, when we come to a church as God's family, when we look at our human family structure, the nuclear family, sacrifice is necessary. Sacrifice is not easy. If you want to keep your family, be willing to sacrifice. If you want to keep your family together, be willing to sacrifice. There, there is no sacrifice where people are all fighting for their own rights, where people are all fighting for their own demands and saying, this is my portion, this is my money, this is my paycheck, this is my bank account, this is my, 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 my. In such a family will not be a strong family. Will not be a strong family. You have to sacrifice. So most of us came from third world countries and we know that uh, we are here because somebody sacrificed. Amen. And I, when I was uh, in this trip, I met a, I, I met a lady and, and, and she's a school teacher. And, and she was telling me that uh, they had four or five girls. All other four of them went to work to make her the teacher. Are you with me? Are you getting what I'm saying? Amen. All other women went to do menial jobs. Went to work in those days means went to work in the party field. So that one young sister who was smart can continue her education and become a teacher. Amen. That's what family does. Family is not about being selfish. Family is not about looking after your interests. That's, a, that's a dog, the world standard. Yes, I know we live in a dog-eat-dog -dog world, but a church shouldn't be a dog-eat-dog -dog church. Amen? Even if, if you don't care about each other in the church, where else are people going to learn about these godly principles? If we don't care for each other, if we don't look after for each other, if we don't, you know, that's why the Bible said very clearly, let everyone esteem his brother or sister higher than himself. Amen? If we don't do that, if we don't practice that in the church, where else is the world going to see this standard? Where else in the world are we going to see this standard? Nowhere. So sacrifice is a must. When you come to a church, become a member of the church, get ready to sacrifice. Amen. I cannot force you to come here at 9.30 or 10 o'clock, but you must be willing to sacrifice. And then you have to show up on a Wednesday night for a midweek service. That may be a sacrifice, but you must be willing to do that sacrifice. Then come here on a Friday night for our family night program to come here with your children. Yes, it is a sacrifice. I acknowledge it is a sacrifice, but you must be willing to do that sacrifice. Why? That's how the family gets strong. Hello? That's how family gets strong. When all of us are willing to sacrifice for each other, this church family will be an extremely strong unit. And no devil in hell can break this church apart. 
Amen? Hallelujah. And the third thing is genuine care. Okay, I'm going to run. One more point I had to quickly show you then before I sit down, okay? Give me two minutes. Family not only has a resemblance, every family has rules. Hello? Did your family have rules when you grew up? Can I see the hands of one person who grew up in a family that had no rules? Nobody, okay? Because there's absolutely no family without rules. Every family has rules. So you know God has given us rules for his family? Look in your notes, quickly, quickly. Amen, our time is up. God has given rules for conduct for his family on earth. Apostle Paul is the one who explains all these things to us in the Bible. I don't have time, so I'm going to just going to run through this. Okay, well, let me take you to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 2. This is what he says. Be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. That means that the New Testament church in the first century itself struggled. There were people with different opinions. They were pulling churches in different directions, you know. And, and then Paul had to tell them this was a church that had a lot of joy, a lot of spiritual joy, but nonetheless they were not of one mind. So Paul had to tell them, listen, this is a rule for the church of God. This is a rule for the church, of, church family. Be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, and be of one mind. Chapter 2 and verse 3. He tells us, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Chapter 2 and verse 4. He tells us you have to think about others if you are a member of God's family. Amen. In First Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3 onwards, it tells us that uh, not sexual liberty, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a face print of the 21st century right? Sexual liberty and all kinds of things. I mean, and I, I don't even want to go there. Uh, the things that are going on in the world is crazy. The rules, laws that are being passed in Europe is crazy. You know, they, I think it's in Holland, passed a law two weeks ago that you can marry an animal. In 21st century world. Okay? That's where the world is today. All right? That's where the world is today. But uh, Apostle Paul, listen to this. When I was reading New Testament again this year, something caught my attention. There are two things that is repeated again and again in Paul's epistles. One is sexual immorality, and the second thing is strife. So I realized that the first century church had issues. You know why? Because they all came from very liberal cultures, just like we, we are living in, in the world today. So they came from this kind of cultures. So when they came from that culture into church, sometimes it took a while for them to get to know what Christianity is all about and what God expects, what are the rules for God's family. So Paul had to write again and again. And you will be surprised to see that out of the 14 epistles that he wrote, at least 11 of them talk about sexual immorality. That means the first century church really struggled with it because they came from such a culture. So, so if God, the God has set rules, and do you know what is the rules? So go home and read that portion, please. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 onwards, says, listen, I know, Paul is saying, this is what Paul is saying, I know you guys came from a culture where you had a sexual, total sexual freedom, you could do whatever you want, but that's not the household of God. Amen. Now you have been adopted into the household of God. And God has set some rules for his household. 
And you know what is that house, that rule? Not sexual freedom, not sexual liberty, but self-control. It's God's rule. Go home and think about that, okay? I don't have time to explain. Amen. Hallelujah. And then we know in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, we have a long list of things for our family life. So, listen, church, if church is God's family, we have to resemble Christ. Amen. We have to show that family resemblance. We have to follow God's rule for his family. Amen. And, and we must always remind ourselves, yes, I was not worthy of being part of this family, but thank God for his grace. He adopted me in his family. Amen. And, and, and through that process of adoption, I have become heir of the blessings of God and co-heir with Christ in all the blessings of God. Amen. Both the New Testament blessings and the Old Testament blessings are ours now because we have become family of God. Stand up with me all over this place.